My talk this afternoon, I'll refer to Bronwyn's talk because there's actually really nice links and connections. Um, and so I'll be focusing on methodology for researching um, online platforms and social media. And I'll be referring to two projects um, that I've worked on, and it's through um, mode, multimodal methodologies for researching digital and data environments, and it's a node um, that's part of the National Center for Research Methods funded by the ESRC, okay? And um, the first one that I'll be talking about is, uh, was titled, Using Multimodal <coughs> and Narrative Approaches to Study Food Blogs, Stories About Food and Families. Um, and this project that I'm speaking about, I had worked on it in Winter Press, um, Carrie Jewett, Elisabetta Adami, um, and then from Novella, another node for the National um, Center for Research Methods, is Heather Elliott, Rebecca O'Connell, um, and Corin Squire. So they were looking at narrative approaches. So the combination um, of both. Now, as we were doing this project, um, part of the issue that came up is what Bronwyn was also mentioning, the idea that we can look at this, uh, the sites as just text. Um, it's what <coughs> A bigger piece that became apparent is the way those texts were produced. It wasn't just um, in terms of how the users or the bloggers um, were manipulating the templates and tools that they were given, but on another level, you have the designers of the platforms themselves who give particular um, resources that now constrains the kinds of designs um, the users can take up, okay? And so that why it became apparent we need the ethnographic approach here uh, as well. And so we added another layer. And so it was very complicated, uh, obviously, to work with three different frameworks, but at the same time, it really enabled us to look um, at the substantive questions uh, in some way, in a more holistic way than if we just had taken uh, an ethnographic or a social semiotic or uh, a narrative approach. Uh, one of the comments from our colleagues was the emphasis on thinking about meaning making as happening across the different modes of representation and not just uh, the written or spoken language was a key piece that they might not have necessarily emphasized or focused on had we not worked with them. Okay. And so there were two main questions that were posed for um, the actual project. The first, what are the methodolo methodological potential and constraints of adding an ethnographic and multimodal semiotic analysis. And the substantive uh, question was, what stories are told <coughs> in UK-based food blocks? So working from that, um, Novella, uh, answering the more substantive question, had started the sampling, and they gave us 15 um, blogs that we might look at, okay? And they had said they wanted middle ranking and <coughs> relatively well-established blogs that have been um, uh, for a few years have been up and running, not something that's new like within one week or so. And they were looking particularly at UK-based mothers with primary school age children, four to 11 years, um, and blogs that specifically related to feeding families, about parenting, about food and feeding families. Okay, and so from the 15 total sample, we looked at two closely, which I identified here as um, thinly spread and diary of a frugal family. Now again, connecting to Bronwyn's talk, and as I had mentioned, um, having done considerable work online, I, I <coughs> find that participants uh, who 
are open to um, reaching different audiences uh, welcome um, our direct quotation and reference to their work. And so likewise, we have reached out to the bloggers and um, they were very excited about being part of this. And as a matter of fact, uh, with them and other participants I work with, one of the interesting things that happen is you become part of that site because they mention we're working with so-and-so and sometimes um, in other research projects I have completed, uh, they'll actually link to the publication um, that went out related to their work. Okay. Uh, several issues, of course, come up with that. Like in terms of the blog, once they're aware, there could be changes in the way that they post. So one of the ways that we worked around this was uh, if you look at, I believe it's Wayback Machine, right? You could type the address and you could look at how that blog appeared years before. And so there's that archive that we can see before we actually made the contact with them. And, and you could see some of the changes as a result from them knowing we're online and we're looking at their blogs. So researching blogs, part of the interest, um, well, the challenge for us, oh, ethical concerns, even though they were public, these are very, they, they're writing about very private, um, uh, topics to some extent. There's a well-formed community um, of UK-based mothers and they meet at conferences, meet regularly. So this is a community that is formed not only online but offline. Um, and so some of the ethical concerns about them being identifiable, ways around that. So those issues came up for us. Archival, because to some extent these platforms and what appears uh, within the blogs from one day to the next, especially one of our participants posts uh, several times a day. So every time you revisit, it looks different in the landing page, the home page, right? Um, and of course, the theoretical and methodological, um, once you start looking and what I'll share with you today about not just looking at it as text, but the types of social interaction that transpire, okay? Um, let's see. And, now, the blogs, tracing, uh, one of the key pieces that I'll cover today is, um, I think sometimes the emphasis on the actual post or what the participants have written. But what we found here is that so much of that is constrained or made possible by what the platform allows and does not allow. And so we wanted um, to provide an approach that will help people to start to account <coughs> for that design um, when they're doing their analysis. And so with blogs, um, they really, the widespread adoption, I believe for uh, WordPress, they have like over 63 million users, right? And a big part of that adoption and that widespread use came with um, the free uh, template designs that people can access because now it's not about knowing, you know, the technical ways of programming and how to make the site. It's more, um, you could add your content to pre-formatted um, templates, okay? And so these were the two questions that we focused on for Mode, like how do we generate and collect data in these digital platforms? And secondly, like how do we think about analyzing data that to some extent um, are, are housed in ephemeral digital environments, okay? Um, and Bronwyn had mentioned no, but to some extent you can't, you can't trace it back. It never really goes away. 
which of course for us when we said we use the Wayback Machine, we could see um, how it was constructed and how it's changed over time. So part of the challenge of combining the approach, um, even though there were potentials, part of the challenge was coming up with the key terms and concepts to work with. It's like different people coming together and speaking different languages. Like what are we talking about when we say platform? for example, okay? Um, and so some of the naming of the key terms that we use um, for analysis. And then for us in thinking about the, this site um, as a text, thinking about uh, continuities and discontinuities in terms of how something appears on the page versus how it appears on the screen. Um, and then with that, thinking about certain principles of text making that are both drawing from and extending beyond traditional practices. Um, and so, uh, here, just thinking about online design and composition, uh, what we were seeing, I'll go to the next slide, okay? For example, um, this website is for a poetry archive, and it's the same website, but you could see how the design differs on the left versus the right. The left one would be uh, drawing from a more traditional approach, uh, print-based text, reading from left to right, top to bottom. So the reading path to access the meaning that's made here, there's a certain order um, you should follow, okay? On the right-hand side, um, it has a, more of a modular uh, arrangement, and so it's not so much left to right, top to bottom, but clicking and selecting, you know, which access point you might be interested in, and understanding the meaning that's made here is not about one Singular, singular way of approaching it. And you could see um, from looking at this, we started to notice uh, in terms of design, there's a certain assumption that on the right-hand side, it's targeted for younger readers, whereas on the left side, it's targeting um, more of like, adults, okay? And so um, with the design, like the audience in mind and different ways that people go about accessing the text. So within platforms, again, as I was mentioning about the naming, the sites of appearance of text, right? So if we think about, uh, we're looking at food blogs, so thinking about cooking and recipes, how something might appear in the book versus how we would now see it if it's on um, a blog platform online. So there you start to see, um, again, within the, the blog platform, the type of media that you're using to access it what appears on the screen will also change. Um, so from the smartphone to the tablet. Okay. Uh, we looked, uh, Bronwyn started to talk about multimodal text. So when you're looking at a lot of these sites online, when we're looking at the blogs um, and uh, other websites, kind of understanding, like to make, to understand the meaning that's made, um, people are not necessarily just using images as, uh, a recount of what was spoken or what was written. Um, the way the meanings that come together and the kind of representation that's possible by integrating these different modes, such as color, uh, the font, um, and videos or still images that are included, they all produce a different kind of meaning that would change if you <coughs> took one away. And so in terms of understanding um, what was in front of us and analyzing the text, it became really critical and important like the ordering, which way we go about analyzing it, uh, 
Do we start with what's in writing? Do we start with what's in images? Do we tweet simultaneously? Uh, and so forth, okay? And so, and then here, now thinking about, you know, all of those pieces coming together, we call them like the different multimodal ensembles. So, um, how these different, uh, like, modes, writing, image, color, how they come together and produce a coherent text. And so just looking at this one blog, for example, um, that was also a sample, you could see how in the center, the different pictures and the, the framing uh, is a clue, you know, as an audience that those are grouped together and have a similar <coughs> theme and pattern. Um, the banner um, will highlight, you know, uh, the key points or entry points into the text that the blogger might want you to access immediately. And even though it changes, like the content, in terms of the structure and the format, the blogs tend to have um, different multimodal ensembles uh, to indicate to the reader which way to access the text, even if it's modular. Um, am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, why why eth uh, an ethnographic and social semiotic approach? When I'm talking about multimodality, it could be applied in terms of theory. It could be applied in terms of just an analytical approach. For this particular work, um, working with Gunther Press, of course, we use the theory and as part of our analysis as well. So for me, um, my, as Leslie had mentioned, my previous work, uh, I, I looked at the literacy practices of urban youth um, across digital contexts, both online and offline. So um, I guess for me, the, the technology and understanding what appears on screen, I'm interested in, in how that happened, the social aspects, um, and how people shape this particular text and why it is the way that it is. Um, and for Gunther, uh, in terms of the social semiotic approach, um, a lot of his analysis can happen by just looking at the text on the screen. So in combination, um, the, the two approaches enable us to think of the social interaction, the platform, the design of the bloggers, and then also what materializes on screen. So we're now seeing it um, uh, in a more holistic way, okay? So for me, I'll, I'll sum it up in, in the approach in two ways. Uh, there's the technical orientation, which I'll go into, and there's the social orientation um, of how the, the bloggers approach the design. For Gunter, um, there are several categories. Uh, the interest, uh, also the identity, what modes are used, the affordance, uh, the design, the multimodal ensemble, the multimodal text, the principles of composition, of text making, um, and then the affordance of the platform. So that last part is really key for both of us that we did not really anticipate at the start of the research. Okay. So here again, just paraphrasing why the two together. So for me, it's understanding the social uses and shaping of the medium, and then how that transpires uh, by what's materialized in the screen. Um, and for Gunther, it's also the interest in the social, on the meaning making in terms of how the text um, is uh, materialized on the screen. So here, now looking at uh, the blogging platform and the technical orientation. So when they gave us the first 15 blogs, um, to sample, uh, I, my previous work, I, I worked with early youth and I was listening, they, they made music. And so when I would listen to the music, um, it was very difficult to listen to the lyrics and not get lost in the beat. And then likewise, 
if I was listening to the lyrics, I wanted to write it down and I wasn't hearing the beat, I wasn't hearing the modes coming together. And so when I was looking at the blogs, my first instinct was, I want to read it to understand what's happening. But remembering that first context, a bigger part of me was thinking, I think I, I, you know, if we're going to do a multimodal approach, I can't focus just on the writing. And so I need to take a step back here. Um, and so I didn't read immediately um, the blogs and just focus on the writing, okay? And so one of the first thing I did was just start to sample what are certain patterns that we're seeing across these different um, blogs that we're sampling. And so of course, there's certain features and, and part of the difficulty in doing this, I guess, is uh, in terms of researching online, it's it's so familiar that you have to make it unfamiliar before it's a, a, a actual research site again so that you don't jump to conclusions, right? And so I really took my time to identify, okay, um, this part up here where it has the image um, where it says crumbs, right? So just identifying um, here that's um, uh, what, what what tends to appear there in all of these blogs. And most of the time, because the blogs are thematic and chronological, the more recent posts might be up there and it might be scrolling. Sometimes it's just, just a fixed image. So understanding certain patterns that transpire. Certain things we started to notice, some of the blogs that, bloggers that have been blogging for quite a while stopped using um, WordPress.com, like they would get their own um, URL and it would be a specific name. Okay, uh, um, there's a certain professionalization that seemed to transpire the more the bloggers were using this, and so um, and so I decided to say I think we have to like take a step back and look at the templates and let's see what they started with. Let's look at the Wayback Machine and how this has changed over periods of time. And so that helped us to sample, again, more closely like the two that we were working with. Uh, and so here, what we started to do, uh, we focused, the two, the two bloggers we were working with were both using WordPress. And so we looked at um, the, the different templates that are available, and we tried to source which one we started <coughs> with. And now at the first part of this research, the idea was to be able to do it. What happens if we just do it online? Because clearly we could have just met with them and talked to them as well. But part of the methodological development was understanding how to access these materials just by doing it online. Okay, So looking at the different, um, different templates that are available and how they might go about um, or what options are available <coughs> to customize it even further. And so we started to notice that some of the bloggers, um, even though they might start with a specific template, the more they do this, the more they want it. Uh, the template doesn't allow them to do certain things that they want. And so they start to change um, as much as they can within the platform, like doing more advanced customizing. Or sometimes they'll move to another social media site and link to that site because maybe another social media site will enable them to articulate what they have to say in ways that the blog cannot, okay? Um, and so that's why also, even though we were interested in blogs, we ended up also looking at other platforms that our participants were using. So here, again, just talking about now, like before it was sampling the, the platform, the WordPress site, and now here it's sampling the specific blog and just understanding um, 
in terms of the multimodal text and the ensembles, where, in terms of coherence and the reading path, how are they grouped together? Um, and so we spent time looking at the different pages, okay, over here. And then here again, you start to see, so these are the two blocks. I've been focusing on thinly spread, but you could see how um, the first page usually is, appears the most interactive. Like you'll have a lot of images, you'll have the videos, you'll have icons, but as you click to the next page, you still have the interaction to, to an extent in a lot of the uh, multimodal text. Once you get to the third page, usually the third level when you click, it tends to become more writing based. So minus the part where um, so you see in the, the left and the right column and the top, those appear on every page, but the actual body of the text, we notice that pattern. That the more you click, um, usually by the third or the fourth level, it's primarily writing, okay? And we saw that for both um, of our participants. And, of course, it's pulling from those templates um, up top, whichever order they want to create. Okay, so here's another example of it. So you can see how by the third level, there isn't an image, you just have the writing. Now, the other piece that came up was um, understanding the social orientation. So um, for some of the bloggers, I, I couldn't, I guess, in my previous research, when I was part of the community and I would interact with them directly, they can tell me more about their practices and how they learn to do what they're doing. Um, and so for, for, for this case, I, we weren't talking to the participants um, throughout this process. So I started to look, like if I, I started to make a blog myself, start to go through the process and to understand the constraints of the actual platform, what I want to do, how I would customize it, and so forth. But I also spent a lot of time um, going to the sites where people talk about blogs and blogging. So I wanted to learn how these participants um, were learning to do all these advanced customization features, right? So consulting different sources um, to understand how they're moving about the space and, and what they're reading um, to produce the text that they have on the screen. And part of it, um, blogs were originally conceptualized, like for, from Blogger here, I put the quote, you know, they talked about it as a blog is a personal diary, a daily pulpit, a collaborative space, a political soapbox, a breaking news outlet. Um, but basically, you could, it says, uh, there are no real rules. In simple terms, a blog is a website where you can write stuff on an ongoing basis. So it's interesting that in one way you think of a diary and you think of it as a private space. Um, and so in terms of the genre and what appears in writing, on one level, they're writing about something private and personal about their families. But on another level, some of these women, um, the more they blog and the more followers they have, different um, companies <coughs> start to reach out to them to publicize and to commercialize um, their products. And so that becomes part of this private space um, that's become uh, more commercial in its nature. And the two bloggers we worked with, when you look at their earlier posts, um, the writing is very different than how it appears in recent years where they have more of a sponsorship. Um, and so the, the posts that they might come up with, it seems like it's not to publicize an actual product, but if you look closely, you'll see the link 
because every time you click on that link, um, then it identifies that you access it through their blog. Um, and so understanding like the different social orientations and the different social relations um, within the construction of this blog, this site, this text. Uh, and then in terms, so for us, in, in terms of data, uh, generating data, data collection, it was now not about just content in terms of the image, uh, in terms of the writing, the videos that are there, um, but it's also the forms that appear and those forms are part of what's provided by the platform. So what they do with the themes that they're given um, when they access a template, they might want to change the color uh, that they're originally um, given. And another way of thinking about the social orientation is different platforms um, enable different types of social relations and different types of materialization of text. So here um, I put the different platforms that were used um, by our participants. Uh, at one point, one of them was using Blogger then switched to WordPress. They used Twitter, <coughs> YouTube, Facebook, Vine, Pinterest, LinkedIn, um, and Instagram. Okay. Now, I don't know if you remember this, it, it circulated a while back, but kind of, I, I think it's funny, but to some extent there's some truth to it too, but thinking about how different social media uh, platforms, you know, might approach thinking, if you think about a donut, right? So Twitter would say something like, I'm eating a donut, right? Uh, for Facebook, I like donuts. For Foursquare, this is where I eat donuts. Instagram, here's a vintage photo of my donut, and it keeps going. Now, when we when I we were thinking about the form and the content and the text and what was circulating in these blog platforms, um, they were linked to other social media sites, and how it appears on one might transfer in another, but then in another site it might appear completely different. And so this has implications when we were talking about. Um, identity and performance of identity, right? So one of our participants, Thinly Spread, she talks about her blog as being a site of, um, it's a professional site, it al it's almost like a portfolio because um, she does like, a, she likes doing consulting work and she's a photographer. And so she uses her blogging about her family as kind of a way um, to showcase her work. But also um, it's a way, I guess, for her to talk about um, other themes like related to raising her family. Uh, and so most of the time it feels very formal when you're reading it. Uh, it feels very edited, the same way with the photographs. Whereas our other participant talks about her blog as um, a way to archive all their memories as a family and that one day she wants it as a book, but not a book officially printed, but a book that the kids can print and put in a binder and can look at and remember all of their memories. Now, when we first looked at the two websites, the assumption was that second one, which looked very childlike with the cupcake, pastel green and pink, um, there's the assumption that this person is not as experienced with blogging, um, the, the sense of coherence, the, the theme doesn't feel like it's somebody as experienced designing blogs. But actually, if you look closely at the platform design, and as we were analyzing what she was doing, she really uh, went above and beyond what was offered and customized it. And she even worked with her husband to customize it. Whereas the second one that we're talking about that looks very professional, um, it really is very template-based. Um, and she 
and didn't alter much of what was given to her. She was uploading her content and much of what she was altering and a lot of the work she was putting into it was the editing the text and editing the photographs. Whereas for the second one, part of the reason um, it seemed like it was more amateur to some extent was she would upload the photographs the, like, directly from Instagram. Um, and so it had the, the filter, it looked very different than the other person who was using um, these cameras and, and the way that she was editing uh, before it goes up on her actual blog, right? So again, you know, part of it was, uh, I mean, is this really, is this really how she talks all the time, like in reference to her family? Because it felt so formal. And so when we looked at the other sites that she was linking, uh, so I looked at her Pinterest page, um, I looked at her Vine, her Facebook, um, YouTube and Twitter. Now, Twitter surprisingly is the one for her that she has more, um, it feels more like impromptu conversation with her audience. Um, and some of it, when you read it, you can't quite get the context because they're so specific uh, to a particular event that might have happened. Whereas in the other sites, um, it has a similar theme. Uh, that's happening in terms of when you're reading it and the way that it moves from one to the next. So here, um, I'll just show you examples of that. So here for um, Thinly Spread, for example, so this is her blog and the same post, the way it might appear in different pages of the blog. Now this, you know, when you study the platform, you'll understand that it's not, she didn't customize all of this. This is how the platform will automatically make it appear depending on each page where you click, okay? Um, and this is how it appeared, that same post in her Facebook. And we find that with a lot of these blogs and the people who want a lot of participation, it's more open so you could click and you could end up in another platform or you could end up in another blog that they might assume a person that they work with. There's a really a sense of community and openness. Some of the other websites that you might look at, it's more closed, where whenever you click, it just takes you to another page in that site, okay? But for them, it's about building an audience, it's about going out um, into different spaces. So here um, is uh, from her Twitter page, and this is what I was saying where some of the photographs are not as edited as it would appear um, in the other social media sites. So the way she's using this, her language and what, how she expresses um, her sentiments like on Twitter is very different than how it appears in the other blog sites. Um, and I guess for me, I, I didn't expect that it would appear in Twitter. I thought it might happen in Facebook because that's where people usually have those conversations. Um, but again, uh, participants, I guess they're all different because our other participant was having a lot of the personal interaction on the blogs itself and on Facebook. Okay. So here again more photographs and here more close-ups. Most of the photographs she takes on her blogs, there isn't that direct gaze. Um, and so it always looks, feels as though you're an observer looking into her world. But when you look at her photographs on Twitter, um, there are close-ups and it feels like you're right there. Um, with some with some of the shots that she takes, okay, uh, and so this again, just explaining a little bit, I because I focus on the ethnographic piece and the descriptive language to account for um, what's appearing there uh, and and the text, the type of interaction, 
and then from there, the social semiotic approach, <coughs> then we were able to go into the specifics of the actual post. Once we understood the platform, once we understood the multimodal text, um, where we could go about generating the data and collecting the data, we went into the specifics and now applying uh, more social semiotic analysis to look at the relation of the image to the writing. So just one example here, um, the About Me pages we spent time looking at and we looked at it, uh, mode first, novella, and then we came together and looked at it again together. And some of the conclusions that we made um, within mode were also um, things that they were saying in novella, but part of the relationship of the multimodal text, the relation of the image to the text was a piece that, that came together for us that helped the analysis. So, okay. So here's the image, and as I was saying, when you look at her blog, it, it there's there's a sense of personal distance. You feel like you're close, but at the same time, not this direct interaction in the way that she writes, in the images that she puts up. And so here she talks about it in her blog, in her About Me page, how her family comes first. And then her other interests, um, like writing, gardening, photography, come second. And so. Part of that is captured in this image, okay? So thinking about uh, the central figures in this image. Uh, my family gets first call. The garden has been my escape. So when you look at the way she uses the image and she uses the writing, it isn't always just a recount. Um, but as you keep looking through the, dif the different pages of her site, um, the way that she would foreground one piece uh, of the composition over another in the same way in her writing. So there's certain patterns you start to see. Now, we were talking about um, data sources and w in terms of thinking about ethnographic methods, one discussion is um, ethnographic methods in studying online research is an efficient means to capture um, you know, different data sources such as text, audio, photography, images, and video. In terms of multimodal research, um, I think to think of those as different data sources is sometimes problematic because as I was saying, part of the meaning that is made is how they all come together. Um, and when they produce this text, it's thinking about construct constructing a certain meaning by using all of these different modes and combinations. So um, it isn't necessarily, let me look at the writing first and let me look at how compare, that compares with the images and what the images say and so forth, but more looking at the, the entire composition. Um, and then the other thing you know, that's noted is like the presence and intimacy of speech. Sometimes that's lost, perhaps, like when you're just looking at the online um, space. But as I was mentioning, if you look at like some of the participants in tracing um, <coughs> their different practices online, some of them, there is this sense of immediacy. They're at the event, they're posting it, it's on Twitter immediately. The photographs, where they are, there is that presence even though you're not with them. So I think in terms of um, the loss of intimacy and the loss uh, of that instant connection connects with what Christine Hine is saying, which is that um, to say that you need the ethnographic interviews with the online respondents and the offline, um, it, it threatens to some extent the experiential authenticity that comes from aiming to understand the world the way that it is for the informants, right? And so um, for us, it was really looking at the way that they were 
uh, moving across these different social media and online spaces um, and understanding um, their patterns across those spaces and not necessarily always saying oh, we have to meet them face to face and now ask these questions. Now with that in mind, um, our group, the novella group, as we continue doing this work, they did do a second part and they did interview um, the participants. And a lot of the discussions we were having, you know, the ethnographic and multimodal approach where we were saying a lot of this participant's work is happening offline before it goes online the way it's edited. Whereas the other one we were saying, it's almost this immediacy, um, you know, from Instagram to Facebook, like everything's connected and it comes up as soon as you post in one place. And all of that, like as they were talking, um, the participants confirmed like their process and, and so much uh, of what we were noticing by studying the platform design and their design of the blogs were things that they also discussed in the interview, okay? So, you see here. Oh, I did want to mention here, um, the connect with, I added this because it connects with uh, the discussion about ethics. So these are public sites and we could have easily um, just uh, worked with the data and not contact them at all. But again, the nature of what they were posting, how there are pictures of their children, we decided um, it's, it would be best if we asked for consent. Um, and so uh, we worked with the British Library, and they have the UK Web Archive, and basically <coughs> they um, can archive, and it, part of this is also what, when we do write about it, we want the, you know, because the blogs change constantly, we wanted one archive that people could refer back to. So it actually was archived twice, they harvested the site twice, um, and they could, it could be accessed directly through the UK Web Archive uh, for the British Library. The other issue was um, in terms of copyright, because now these are platforms like WordPress and Blogger. So even though it's a public site, thinking about the copyright, like say if you do a screenshot, and um, technically it's owned by WordPress. And so the UK, li uh, the British Library is more versed in that, and so they knew the ins and outs and really collaborating with them um, to understand the stipulations and the regulations around like archiving online sites. Um, then, let's see. I just wanted to share quickly um, in terms of the, the second project about, uh, it was focused on assessing the trustworthiness of GPs. Um, and I wanted to share the online component, but again, this one was dealing with methodological development and thinking about conducting research online. So say if you, like one part, uh, the first work package, um, you know, did um, surveys, uh, I'm sorry, the, so looking at um, uh, literature, uh, about trustworthiness of GPs. The second work package did the focus group. And then the third one, which was our project, uh, Jeff Bessemer and I worked on it. We were looking at online fora and thinking about um, what do patients um, say about trust in their GPs, okay? Um, and so here, we'll skip that one. I just wanted to show you the actual uh, forum. So doing something similar where we uh, actually looked at the platform, the possibilities um, of presenting, okay? And these were quickly just, um, there's one area I really wanted to focus on. 
to here. So similar pattern that we were using to study the platform and the potentials. And I wanted to show one part that was really interesting. So the second one, so there were two platforms we looked at closely. The first one was very closed, as I mentioned. When you click, it would take you to another page um, within the web website. The second one was more open, and when patients, for example, could post links to videos, to blogs, to other places, so you're not constrained just within this environment. And what was interesting here was to note how they were using um, social media formats to encourage different types of participation from the um, members of the group. So you could see they do a lot of polls and it replicates to some extent like SurveyMonkey. So they weren't having to train the people who are using these forums how to interact the way that they were doing because it's something that's familiar that they might be doing elsewhere online, okay? So for example, um, they have a profile page um, for the actual community site and then it replicates to some extent like what you might see in Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, okay, and I'm gonna stop there because I wanna make sure we have time um, for comments. Thank you very much.